Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast and the class. Um, today's breakfast and class is dedicated in loving memory of Maurice Levy, Alava Shalom, and Audrey Levy, Alava Shalom, Matem, Moshe Ben Sefia, and Hannah Bat Rachel, sponsored by Ike Levy and family. Uh, breakfast and class is also dedicated in honor of Jonathan Jojo Kohanov. In celebration of his birthday, may he continue to be a leader and inspiration in his Los Angeles community, sponsored by Lior Barkodar. Um, Hazaku Baruch, uh, carry on, carry on, carry on. You're literally a diamond in the sky. Uh, breakfast as well is sponsored by Moise Shami, dedicated in appreciation of the Kitab and the dedicated teacher, Mr. Azul Zolta, who is working so hard to keep our rich traditions alive. Hazaku Baruch. Breakfast and class is sponsored by Evan Kosiner, Hazaku Baruch, um, uh, for the sponsorships. We appreciate them so much, and it's allowing us to do and to produce more and more Torah uh, for the online uh, community around the world. And you shall command the Jewish nation, and they will take to you, they will take to you, uh, pure olive oil, katit la maor, pressed la maor for light, lahaalot netamid, in order to raise an everlasting flame, uh, a flame that's there all the time in the Beit Hamikdash. It should be there constantly and consistently, day to day throughout the day. Uh, we should have this concept uh, of the menorah burning brightly. Now our rabbis speak about extensively about the importance that's placed, number one, on the process of clearing and cleaning the oil, and number two, as well, in this parasha, about the clothing of the Kohanim. And we will speak throughout the week about the symbolism and the importance and the Kiddushah that one derives from each of these uh, segments of the parasha. But for today, I want to focus just on, uh, on this concept of the Begadim. Now, We've spoken about this already, and it's a very interesting concept. Why are we obsessed with dressing up the Kohanim as if they are, you know, a Ken and Barbie doll set? Well, it comes in a box, there's clothing, it's very beautiful, bling, you know, the jewelry, the, the, the chains, the thing. It seems in many ways to be anathema to the Jewish concept. You know, Judaism is about the internal, it's about the spiritual, it's about perfecting one's inner self. And yet here we're giving like such specific, you know, I always say this, you know, today there's a lot of women in politics and a lot of women in, uh, in film and a lot of women in the news and almost invariably there'll be a press conference and some press reporter will say, so tell me, Mrs. Uh, Your Highness, Your Honor, uh, Mrs. Award Receiving, you know, Mrs. Physician, Mrs. Rocket Scientist. Who are you wearing? <laughs> what? Who's, who designed this dress? And almost always, almost always, this woman who's now, who, you know, the lead scientist on the NASA project or the Vice President of the United States or someone who just won, you know, the, the highest honor, you know, in film, will say, you know, do you ask this question to the men? <laughs> right, have you seen this? Right, have you seen this happen again and again and again and again? 
Right? No one is asking, you know, oh, that, that's such a nice pocket square, Rabbi Farin. <laughs> Who are you wearing? <laughs> By the way, I'm wearing Jack Mann. Uh, thank you very much. This is a, for, for, for me, this was a, a saving grace. When I found out that I could wear a pocket square instead of a noose tie around my neck, I was the first rabbi out the gate. I'm like, I'm done with ties. That's it, chalas, okay? So I'm very happy about that. But no one, no one, you know, you don't ask, that's not the question. You want to ask someone who's, who's there to fulfill an important task. It's not important. And when people ask that question, actually the people, rightfully so, get annoyed that right now when I just launched the space shuttle to the moon, you know, on my, and my team and more, I just, you know, made the, this, uh, uh, you know, I presented this new vaccine for uh, corona to save the world. You know, you want to know who made my blouse or, you know, whose suit I'm wearing. And yet, the Torah goes through this amazing, you know, and the clothes. Oh, my God, the clothes designed by B'Tzalel. <laughs> by God. Made by B'Tzalel in the foremost, you know, mill houses of Armani and uh, Valentino in, in Italy, right? What is, you know, so many pesukim describing the beauty and the glory. Not only that. The pasuk carries on and says, what is the point of these big adim? It would be one thing, I think, if it would say, you know, guys, I know it sounds a little bit strange, but the reason why we're wearing these big adim is because each one of these articles of clothing is, you know, highly symbolic. You know, the linen represents shatnez, and the gold represents the, you know, forgiveness for the golden calf. If that's what it would say, okay, almost apologetically, like we're apologizing for... But let's look at what the Pasuk says. Make holy clothes for Aharon, your brother, for honor and for glory. Strange. Now, granted, the Pasuk does call them holy clothes. And the logic, as we've said already, is tied to the symbolism associated with that. But at the same time, we're left a little bit uh, perplexed as to this concept of l'chavor l'tefaret. And I read from Rabbi Bender a fantastic uh, insight into this concept. He said that um, the Chinuch writes, Ha'adam nif'al kifi pe'ulotav. A person is made, is shaped by their actions. Most of us think that the actions that we do are a result of our character refinement. So as an example, if I do an act of chesed, it is because I am a person of chesed. Says the Chinuch, the Torah teaches us that it is exactly the opposite way around. And actually, a person is created, a person is a product of their actions. You do more acts of kindness, more acts of chesed, you become a kinder person. In many ways, sometimes you do an act of kindness and you're not actually even there. You're doing it because of peer pressure. You're doing it for another reason, but it comes a time after a while of doing the right thing that the right thing seeps into my persona and I become a person who is about kindness. And the Chinuch writes this repeatedly when he discusses many different mitzvot. He talks about the mitzvot of leaving Egypt. The way you would eat, the Torah prescribes 
This is how you eat the Korban Pesach. Motnechem Chagurim. You have to have, your belts are tied. And you have your staff and you're ready, almost as if you're ready to go. If you eat the Pesach that way, if you're leaning and you're doing it like royalty on the night of Pesach, you feel like royalty. If you're dipping it in salt water and you're talking about being poor, it makes you feel poor. You feel those ideas, you feel that uh, uh, element seeping into your, your psyche. This, the things that we do on an external level, the way our rabbis communicate it is, the externals, it wakens up, it wakens up the inside. If you dress up for date night with your wife, you've made date night into something important. You dress for success, exactly. Study after study has shown that when kids wear uniforms to school, when they wear a suit and tie to school, they treat the school environment, the classroom different. If you're in hoodie culture, if everything is, you know, you know, if that's how you are, then you, you become a gangster because you're wearing the hoodie. Now, you normally think it's gangsters that wear hoodies, but in some ways, it's hoodies that wear gangsters. It's a fascinating concept about the, the way, the environment that we create and the clothes that we wear and the external things that don't seem to make that much of a difference make all the difference in the world. And if ever you doubted this concept, and if ever you thought you were not shallow, think again. Ever been to a wedding? Ever been to a wedding at the end of the night? When the wedding's like over, your family, you're there till the end, and all of a sudden the caterer turns on the lights. Ever been to that? So this beautifully lit room with all the mood lighting everywhere, with all the candles burning, you feel like this magnificent event, all of a sudden the lights go on, you're like, whoa! And then all of a sudden, the lights going on, you feel it, the party's over. Caterers know that if they want to get the crowd to leave, what do they do? Turn the lights on, that's it. All of a sudden people feel, party's over. Just a difference in lighting, that's enough. Isn't that fascinating? It feels awkward to be there. They'll do this in clubs, they'll do this in, uh, in uh, casinos, they'll shift something in the environment, and all of a sudden people feel like, I don't want to be here anymore. And then they'll go. Why that's so important is because first and foremost, and this is unfortunately a truism that is not recognized in Judaism, it's not recognized in parenting, it's not recognized in relationships, it's not recognized in business. Unfortunately, sometimes reality is inconvenient. But reality doesn't care about how you feel about it. Reality is a big bad boss that just does what it wants to do. It just is who it is, it doesn't care about how you feel, it doesn't care about the fact that you wish it was something else. Reality bites, like they say. Why am I sharing this with you? Rev Bender writes something unbelievable. He said that Rev Shmuel Kamenetsky was famous. He would meet people and he would talk to the people, the rabbis that were growing up in the yeshiva, and finally they would graduate, so, so to speak. They would receive their semicha. They would become ordained. And Rev Shmuel Kamenetsky would tell them immediately, you want to go teach in the yeshiva? You want to be a rabbi? Put on the frock. What's a frock? Frock is the long, the long coat. Now that happens to be uh, a specific 
element of a, a Ashkenazic rabbi dress. Not all Sephardic rabbis wore frocks. But the chief rabbi, he looked like a gangster. Now look at that, that coat with all the things on it, the gold and the hat. How that, he looks like a, you know, Arabian prince. You know, you imagine a carpet pulling up to, you know, lift him up into the sky, you know, and people singing a whole new world. Now, this, it's an amazing thing that. Why did they have to wear it? it this idea already goes back all the way. Eliyahu as we hear about it. Aderet Eliyahu. The clothing that the rabbi would wear, that the Navi would wear, that the Kohen would wear. It was important. Why? Because in a shallow world, in a world where people respond to clothing, to something that looks royal, or looks regal, or looks respectable, you want their respect? It would be wonderful if they just respected your insides. But a world of chitzoniyut, of externalities, recognizes externalities. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says this is the reality, therefore the Kohanim need to be dressed very beautiful. In fact, their clothing needed to be perfect. They couldn't sweat. Their clothing was full of sweat. They had to change it. If it was too short, they couldn't use it. Do you know that each Kohen had the clothing made for them? It wasn't, uh, you know, that they all had, you know, you went into the locker room, you just grabbed, you know, Kohen size large, you know? You know, Kohen size medium. You know, the Kohen Gadol, you know, same one as the other guy. So, you know, when he dies, you use his clothes. They were made specifically for the Kohen, exactly to their measurement. It needed to look beautiful because physical symmetry and physical beauty is important in the eyes of the people. Did you ever wonder why the halakha tells you on Yom Tob that if you want to, we want you to rejoice on Yom Tob. And what does Hashem say? How do you rejoice? Meat and wine. Really? That's what I need to rejoice in front of God? Yes. Because the reality is you're not only a soul, you're a body. And not ignoring reality is not some sort of ideological, uh, you know, highbrow uh, element. It's just stupid. So Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky came to Rav Bender and he said, you know, you're already teaching in a yeshiva. You're wearing a short shirt. You should be wearing the frock. If he was halabi, maybe he would have told him to put on a turban or a fez in Morocco. But you know, you need to wear the clothing of the rabbi. Anyway, it's not comfortable. You ever see the rabbis have to fold up their thing? They, you know, so he just didn't do it. A little while later, he saw him again after telling him a couple of times. And instead of telling him once again, he pulled him aside and he gave him an entire lecture on kavod ha-Torah, on having the kavod for the Torah. I imagine the conversation went something like this. You really should put it on. Rabenda says, you know, I, I'm not so comfortable. Maybe I, I feel like it's a bit beyond me right now. Maybe at a later stage. And I imagine Rishmul Kamenetsky saying, with the sweetness that is characteristic of that man, he is honey just through and through, Rishmul Kamenetsky, so sweet. He probably told him, I understand that that's what you want, but this is not your decision and it's not your honor. This is the honor of the kavod, the kavod of the Torah that resides inside of you. And the reality is that until you dress the part, people don't look at you like a rabbi. Could you imagine if I came to synagogue wearing sweatpants? <laughs> if, I wore, if I wore jeans and a, and a t-shirt? Right? Yeah. 
shorts to the synagogue, flip-flops. And I came up there and I was like, Rabotai, we need to change our ways. <laughs> and there's a breeze flowing through what little hair I have left, right, you know? Yeah, could you imagine? It doesn't, it, the, the image, the image, the, the, the optic, the, it's important. I wish it wasn't, and we lived in a world of souls, but you know what we call that? Ganeden. Here in this world, there is a reality to the physical nature of our world, to the physical nature of the way we think. After getting that schmooze, that, that uh, talking to, Ravenda bought a frock the next day. It's not about me. It's not about how I think about it. It's about the perception of the other person. He tells once about how he was flying on a plane and he bumped into Rav Meir Zlotowitz and his shirt was creased. For, he was flying on a plane, got, you know, Hazi, white shirts, creased. The rabbi said to him, he says, you can't wear, you can't look like a schlump. He said, I'm on a plane, what do you want from me? He says, buy non-iron shirts. Now, I just, could we just hit pause on the tape for one second, the DVR, pause. Here are two great rabbis that have the problems of Am Yisrael on their shoulders, on a plane, talking about non-iron shirts. <laughs> and the answer is, yes. Talking about maintaining the dignity of the persona of a rabbi. You can't look like a schmutz. In fact, Chazal tell us, kol talmit chacham, any talmit chacham, sheyesh lo revav al begdo, that has... Uh, uh, some, uh, some spit on his jacket. The, the Gemara says, it's not a Talmid Chacham. And I always thought to myself, does it mean that he's not a Talmid Chacham? Or does it mean he's not perceived as a Talmid Chacham? And then I read something which uh, I think really helped me understand this in a beautiful way. I read that Aside from this concept of kavod, of the Kohen Gadol, like the Gemara says, man malchi, why is the Kohen dressed up so honorably? Because we call and we equate the Kohanim with melachim, with kings. God says, you will be for me, mamlechet Kohanim, a kingdom of priests. Kings and Kohanim are compared. It's why when a Kohen comes, we give him the first Aliyah, you always invite him first to do Birkat Amazon. There's a, there's a kavod that we have to give. We have to extend to Kohanim. So says the, uh, says, says the Gemara, man malki, so if the Kohen is dressed beautifully because he's like the king, who are our melachim, who are our kings today? Man malki, rabbanan, our rabbanim, our rabbis. It is important that people should see you in that way. And I must tell you, I've always wondered about this. You know, I always wondered if, you know, having a big white beard is important for a rabbi. Because when you come to him with a problem, he gets to stroke his beard and think about it. It's just not the same when I, <laughs> when I pat my... <laughs> Hold on one second. Let me just play with my imaginary. I don't know it, right? It, I kind of feel like there's something about that that, and that, that the image of a sage that helps a person communicate. And I have to tell you, a lot of young rabbis have a problem with this. Very young rabbis that are approached by people 
who see them as a youngster, they look very young, and they think to themselves, but in Judaism we know the rabbi doesn't have to be old to have wisdom that's older than you. You know why? Because his wisdom is three and a half thousand years old. He might be, the vessel might be younger. You know what the equivalent is? Imagine you take a hundred year old scotch and from some, you know, unearthed from underneath the ground in an earthenware, you know, cask, you know? And you took it out of the bottle and you want to serve it on Shabbat, it has mud on it. See, so you pop the cork, you pour it into this magnificent lalika, you know, decanter, mechila, you know, decanter. You stick it on the table, wow. Did the scotch become young? <laughs> in fact, in Torah, when we talk about a zaken, we don't mean a person who's old in years. We mean Why would we call a guy who's young but has wisdom an old man? The answer is because he's a new bottle, but what he's spitting out, what he's communicating to you is a wisdom that's thousands of years older than you. So maybe I, in my personal capacity, can't tell an 80-year-old guy anything about the wisdom of life. But I'm not telling him anything. I'm quoting a Pasuk. I'm quoting a Mishnah. I'm quoting a Gemara. I'm quoting a Midrash. I'm communicating the wisdom of thousands of years uh, of Jewish uh, uh, Chochman wisdom. Rabotai, the presentation of that is important. I build this stage, this idea, in order to communicate one concept. And this is my uh, piece de resistance over here. This is not only for Kohanim, and it's not only for rabbis, and I'm not asking you to sponsor my wardrobe, and I'm not telling you that's not what's happening. What I looked at in, the, in all of this is this nod to reality. I get you. I remember we started a kids program in London, and to get all these kids to come study to learn, it was Saturday night, father and son. We have all these different prizes, tickets, raffles. We have a chazak, uh, you know, uh, Chinese auction that you get chazak money with pictures of the Ben Ishchai, of Chamuvadia, right? And these kids are all collecting, you know, the dollars. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing that we taught them that the scholars are valuable, you know? And they collected it when they went to shul, when they studied, all these different things. And then they could use that money to, you know, to bid on unbelievable prizes in the auction. Crazy prizes. Someone came up to this, they said, you know, this is ridiculous. Giving prizes to children. You're teaching them that, uh, you know, teaching them that they should only learn for a prize. Teaching them they only come for a, for a prize to pray. Teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. You know what? Sometimes it's hard to keep my mouth shut. So I struggle. <laughs> and if you, if you know me well, you'll know that when uh, something is annoying me, I crack my neck. <laughs> Do you know what I wanted to say to this man? Do you know what I wanted to say? This is a man who was involved in education in the community for a while. You know what I want to say? You're teaching them that Torah is this, you're teaching them that Torah is that. You know what I wanted to say? 
At least I'm blooming teaching them. Are they coming to any of your classes? 50 years, 30 years you've been on the scene. Where are the kids? Are they coming to anything? So now that there's a prize and they're coming and sitting for the whole tefillah, and they're coming and sitting and they're dragging their fathers to shul, who the fathers also weren't coming. You're living in la-la land. You want to have some sort of ideological conversation? Let's have the conversation when you've managed to get any children to come. Is this clear? You have to deal with the reality. The reality of our world is that there's a yetzer That is a reality. You know what they say? A lot of people think, I mentioned this the other day, you take the yetzer you break him in half, you won. You didn't win. You broke the yetzer in half, now you have two yetzer that is the world that we live in. I heard something unbelievable just this week from Rabbi Rieti. Rabbi Rieti is promoting the idea of running Montessori schools, but in the Jewish world. Creating a Montessori system for the Jewish school system. And he's built already more than one. There's actually one here in the city um, uh, on the west side. It's a very different model of education. She so had a group of educators and they went to speak to a great Talmud Chacham. And you know, they said, it's true that there's this whole new system that the rabbi is presenting. And it's true, it seems the kids are learning better. And it's true, and it's true, and it's true. But you know what? We never learned like this. We never taught like this. It's a new system. Is this the right way to teach? We've never taught this way before. And they thought it was going to be a very long meeting. You know, going back and forth. Is it right? Is it wrong? Misora, la, 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 la. You know what the rabbi said? The meeting was over in two minutes. The rabbi said, I don't understand. Only the Yetzirah Haraz allowed to come up with new ways to trick and beat us. We're not allowed to come up with new ways to beat him. You're living in La La Land. Yes, that worked. That worked in another world. We exist in another world right now. How are we responding to the fact that we exist in another world? In a world where everything is instantaneous, what do you do? How do you figure out how to draw a child in? Of course, eventually you wean them off. <clears throat> but you know what? I have yet to meet a kid that started coming to kids' classes for prizes, that goes to Yeshiva Gedola, and at the age of 23, reads a pasuk in the Torah, comes to a rabbi's class when he's 35 and gets married, and says, Rabbi, when's the raffle? <laughs> I have yet to meet that person. You know why? Because Torah is beautiful. And Torah is misameach. And Torah is engaging. But we just need to sneak one past the Yetzirah. We need to drag the Yetzirah to the shul. So he's such a heavy weight and an anchor on you in bed that we need to get him out of the way long enough for you to get here, to let the Torah and let the tefillah work its magic with the spirit. Is this clear? This message is not about kohanim. It's not about clothes. It's not about rabbis. It's about understanding that if your kid doesn't want to come to shul, figure out how to incentivize him to come to shul. Don't drag him. Don't yell at him. Don't make him feel guilty that the Torah and tefillah is something he must do. You have to communicate that. But you also have to figure out how to give out lollipops. When I, became, when I moved to this synagogue, I became the candy man. You know why I became the candy man? It's, it can be annoying, you know? Non-stop kids... They're coming up asking for lollipops. Kids also are not aware necessarily of an appropriate or inappropriate time to ask for a lollipop. So they'll be tapping you during Amidah of Ne'ilah. <laughs> Rabbi. Rabbi. 
right? It's a job I wouldn't give up for the world. I've given out lollipops in the middle of speeches. Why? Because if I'm trying to teach a kid, if I want to get a kid to come to shul, you have to make shul sweet. It's not only about duty and service, it's about mitikut. Recognize the reality. You're more religious than your wife. You're more religious than your husband. You want them to buy into Shabbat. It's annoying. It's hard for them. They're not there yet. Figure out how to make Shabbat beautiful for them because ultimately we're all kids. All of us, we're all kids. The dictum goes, the only difference between the men and the boys is the price of their toys. Yeah? You think husbands are not uh, wooed by wives? You think wives don't know how to reward us as husbands? Of course they do. Oh, honey, I made you your favorite dish. What do you want? <laughs> and you know what? It still works. It does. It does. Doesn't it? Right? People, are, we're nicer to our children. That's how it works. We want them to do something. We're very nice. They want us to do something. Oh, there's nothing more obvious than a super respectful child. Right? Is this clear? My friends, don't apologize for recognizing reality. Understand that this is part of the game. And yes, we need to deal with the Yetzihara. I love this line. Says, if the Yetzihara is dragging you, he's taking you down, take him to the Beta Midrash. Drag him to the Beta Midrash. I've always thought that is, seems to be the single most unhelpful bit of advice someone could ever receive. Like the Yetzihara wants you to break Shabbat, you're in your bed and he wants you to use your phone. He wants you to turn on the TV, right? And it's very difficult. You're finding it difficult to beat him. So you know what? Go to shul and learn. <laughs> if that was one of my options, <laughs> right? If my Yitzhara would happier, be happier to let me do that, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the key word is mashchehu. Mashchehu. Pull him. Find a bet midrash that has something in it that pulls your yetzer hara. Safra has a magnificent kiddush on Shabbat morning. I mean, obviously now, not, not in COVID, but prior to, and Bezat Hashem, post. It brings everyone out. You have a nice udash yeshi, brings everyone out. You have a lunch and learn, and you go to the kids in the school, you bring sushi, burgers, this, that. You have to figure out how to deal with this, you know? You have a class. You want to give them, teach them just, you know, the text of the chumash? Who's coming? He needs a story, a joke. The story and the joke shuts up the Yetzirah. And the Torah rewards the Yetzirah Tob. Understand this reality. Work with it instead of trying to work against it. And you'll get much further. That's the concept over here. 
Make the clothing for the Kohanim. They're in the house of Hashem. Miracles are happening in the Beit HaMikdash. That's not enough. <coughs> they need to look sharp. Isn't that magnificent? The Torah understands and takes into account human psychology. Do the same. You'd be wise to learn from its ways. May we be zoche always to understand the realities of the way other people see us. Also to understand our own realities. Know how to work with yourself. What do most people do when they feel guilty on Yom Kippur? They stand up and they say, that's it, I'm finishing Shas. You're not finishing nothing. <laughs> right? That's, I'm coming every day early to shul. Probably not. Stop by saying, I'm going to come on Rosh Chodesh 10 minutes early. That's not a hard, right? You could do that. Is that clear? You could do that. You take a Kabbalah which is realistic. Give me one small realistic Kabbalah that you'll actually stick to over some giant Kabbalah that you'll never do any day of the week. Something tiny, something small. That's dealing with the reality of how difficult it is for human beings to change. Seeing yourself, and I must say this difference, acceptance is not the same thing as surrender. Accept yourself. Don't surrender to yourself. Don't surrender to the situation that your child is in or that your family is in or that your business is in. But accept that that is where the reality is and I need to work with that reality. And yes, not everything is as pristine and holy and beta migdash like as I would like it to be. Yeah, people come for breakfast. That's why it's called breakfast in the class. <laughs> Be'ezrat Hashem, we should be zocheh to grow from strength to strength in Avodat Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Amen. Amen.